BBC critic William Gallagher called this movie jaunty, witty, and somehow satisfying, despite being simple. Time Out's Jeff Andrews raved that its tone is quick-witted and appealing, with some of the smartest dialogue this side of Billy Wilder. And Richard Schickel of Time Magazine said it is not just the best comedy of the year, it is popular art on the way to becoming cultural artifact. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we determine the fate of Tootsie. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How you doing? Greetings to you. Thank you very much. It's nice to be greeted. Yeah, well, you know, as I've as I've said before, and I'll oh, I will always say, you above all are a starfighter. I and I'm greet worthy, apparently. Yes, you have earned the right to be. I mean, yeah. you've branded yourself with the mark. We know this. this is true. I don't know if anybody can hear the audio on my end picking up my dog going a little bananas, but there is definitely a party being held. In my building Ooh. on my floor. And wow. what's bizarre about that is that we're all supposed to be keeping social distance right now. Ain't no party like a quarantine party. Yeah, so I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> people are being loud <laughs> and rowdy. So that's what's happening. It's Rona time, you know? <sighs> I mean, yes. Uh, I And and by the way, I, I've committed to limiting any references to current events to this very segment of the show. And it's really unavoidable because I live in Seattle. Right. I mean, I I will admit I've got something up my sleeve that we will uh, get to in a little bit. Uh, but I, Dan, <laughs> while you Symptomless are... Symptomless in Seattle. <laughs> while you are uh, hunkering down at home, have you been watching any movies have you been i don't know what have you been up to uh well so for those of you who aren't familiar my i i have a six-year-old and i have a wife who is she is working remotely she was working remotely before i was i'm uh -huh. a public public school teacher high yeah. school teacher Yes, I'm assuming uh, the listener knows. So, but I've only been home for, it was Thursday and Friday. Wednesday mm -hmm. was when Seattle made the made the call, the right call, IMHO, in my humble opinion. Okay. To close the schools, in my healthy opinion, in this case. Okay. So they, and Chloe, my daughter, was home, uh, you know, Thursday and Friday with me. Thursday, we had nice weather, and Chloe and I spent a lot of time outside riding bikes and and such, thrown around the Frisbee. And then came Friday when it rained all day and was windy and cold, and Chloe really wanted to go outside and ride her bike and play. Throw the bee on the quad? She wanted to be throwing the bee on the quad. 
<laughs> hacky sack. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else one does on the quad. Sunbathes. Yeah, you know, have a drum circle. Smoke cigarettes. Have a drum circle. Yeah. Yes. I'm actually, I'm thinking back to like the Rutgers quad mid to late 90s. Yeah. And our Temple had a... Temple University did not have so much of a quad, but I did go. I did do a year at the University of Hartford oh. that totally oh, had yes. a quad. Oh, absolutely! Lots of hacky sack. Lots of sacks were hacked on that quad. Oh yes, many a sack was hacked. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I'm sorry. It reminds there's a, it's a Rodgers and Hammerstein song from the movie Oklahoma called "Many a New Day," and I'm like, many a sack hacked. Who am I? I don't know why that popped into my head. Right. Haven't heard haven't heard that song in ages. So Chloe wanted Since to the go mid 90s, in fact. Toss around the beyond. Chloe the quad. wanted to go outside and, and I wanted to watch a movie. Not nothing for this podcast, not at this point at least. I I'm trying to get her into the some of the Disney classics, perhaps some of the newer uh more recent Pixar films. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if I may say uh, kudos to Disney for they're they're making Frozen Two available on Disney Plus three months earlier than originally planned. Yeah, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker is now available uh, for I believe purchase or rent uh, digitally. Yeah, I think that was on schedule. Uh, it, it's a little bit, it was like a week earlier or like uh, okay. a few days earlier. So they, they similarly, they enough. but frozen yeah. two is a big one. And gotta say, I, we've been watching frozen two pretty much on repeat in this household. Uh, I, I have a DVD screener of it. That's been, um, wearing the laser on the DVD player thin. So it'll be good to have that streaming. Uh, also, the DVD copy I have yes. is DVD quality, so it'll be nice to have a full quality version that we can watch. Maybe I can see it in a different way for the 5,000th time. You will have that available to you, to the best of my knowledge, possibly by, at midnight tonight. <laughs> right. We're recording this on Saturday before yes. The, yes. the release of this so, episode. When you're listening to this, it's already you could go watch Frozen Two right when after you're done listening to this. I was gonna say right now, and yeah. I don't want. I'm I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. For those of you who might be joining us for the first time because you're in quarantine and are listening to every podcast you can find, my brother John Hi. and I, we love movies. We grew up watching HBO. We have we have that's like in our heads for life. Oh yeah, and the excitement of watching the new movie not just on a Saturday night but on a Saturday morning, if it right. wasn't rated R, when they would show it at like nine a.m. Yeah, and on the day that we're recording this, I think that Hobbs and Shaw is the uh, the movie that's that's new today. Except if you look on HBO's website, it is listed as Bob's and Shaw. Are you kidding? That's really funny. I, I well, I looked on my, I, I looked it up on my phone that, because that is a I franchise. wanted to know what was new. That's a franchise that I don't think we've talked about yet on this show. 
Well, we could talk about it tonight because they just uh, postponed the release of... By a year, the ninth in the yes. franchise. So they are like, Fast and the Furious is released in April or it is not released. It's Hobson crazy. Shaw can be in August. Yeah. That was fine. So what's... Just quickly, one thing I want to mention about the Fast and the Furious franchise is it's, I think, the only time that a franchise like that, like an action franchise, has reinvented itself mid-franchise, where at the beginning it was its own separate thing. It almost felt like it was... It was Point Break. It was Point Break, exactly. It was a Point Break remake with Cars. The second one took... uh, No, Too Fast, Too Furious was just a regular type of uh, sequel. Then there was Tokyo Drift, which was like its own separate thing, and the timeline is all weird. Uh, And then the fourth one happened, then the fifth one, Fast Five, kind of reinvents it and just says, what if we just made this completely batshit crazy? And add The Rock. The Rock. Yeah. Exactly. So The Rock makes everything better. It definitely kicked it up. And all of them since then, I didn't love uh, Fate of the Furious as much as the seventh one. I can't remember exactly the titles for all of them, but the seventh one was like, oh yeah, this is insane. The right exact amount. It had Ramsey, the hacker, um, right, Natalie Emanuel, right. I think her, her name is. Uh, she was on Game of Thrones. I think so. And yeah. she's fantastic. Yeah. And then this next one also seems completely, if you don't mind my saying, ludicrous. I, and that's, of course, a nod to Ludacris, who's in the movies. Of course it is. And I can see what you're saying, which is a reference to John Cena, uh-huh. who plays the villain, and Dom's brother, and he's the bad guy. What's, I'm so... Okay, so first I'm of all... I'm excited about that. The trailer for trailer for the, fast, the ninth fast... I forget what the name of it even is, but the trailer for it is like makes this weird dramatic reveal about this guy being Dom's brother. And it's like, from the second the trailer started, I was like, oh yeah, this dude's Dom's brother. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. So anyway, I, I we're doing exactly what I was about to describe is what John and I do <laughs> is we talk about these beloved franchises and properties, cult movies, the, the movies that if you are... In your in your like you know mid thirties to mid forties, the movies that you watched ad nauseum on cable and on VHS, right? But in in school on movie day, yeah, not limited to. No, not limited. Yeah. No, we run the gamut, and what we do is we we talk about the movies, we revisit them, and we discuss what. What would be the pro- the proper the appropriate way to either remake the film, reboot the franchise, just revisit it, create a sequel, add to the story? Somehow you are adding to the the legacy of this film because we know the original ideas in Hollywood these days that are being produced and are being released in theaters are few and far between it's a everything not everything but 
most of our your tentpole releases are remakes. They're comic book based films, and some of them are great, and some of them are forgettable. But we're kind of out of the age of the star driven drama yeah. that that you know <laughs> that makes huge box office. You know, the age of Rain Man being number one at the box office for well, 1988. Yeah, and, and on this episode, we're talking about Tootsie, which came out in December of 82. And the reason why we are talking about it on this episode is because uh, I just celebrated a birthday. And this was number one at the box office the day I was born, March 9th, 1983. So this was number one at the box office for months and I think that it slipped off and then came back. I think I, that happened. And it well, wasn't until Return of the Jedi came out that year that, it, you know. In May? Right. That it really was, you know, dethroned. And yeah, of course, there were not, you know, there was not this weekly deluge of releases inundating theaters. But still, you also have you have a movie that's released late in the year anyway. And then. I remember for years, I wouldn't see a lot of the big Oscar movies until in the theater until February or March, especially if they were limited releases that weren't playing in suburban New Jersey. Mm -hmm. uh, but Tootsie was not Tootsie was not an independent film. Clearly, no. uh, you know Columbia Pictures tentpole uh, movie, and it uh, I think be, is the number one box office. Number one movie of 1982 or number two movie? Of 82? I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was released in 82. So uh, anyway, it's it's huge. It's nominated for a bunch of Oscars, including Best Picture, which it, it's nominated up against E.T. and Gandhi, which yeah. wins. Sidney Pollack nominated for Best director also like also up against Richard Attenborough for Gandhi and Steven Spielberg for E.T. Uh, Sidney Lumet for The Verdict, which is also nominated for Best Picture. Wolfgang Peterson for Das Boot. Uh, you've got Dustin Hoffman nominated for Best Actor, which he loses to Ben Kingsley uh -huh. in Gandhi. You've got Jessica Lange. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Jessica Lange was nominated for Best Actress, but not for Tootsie. For Francis. Oh, she yeah. doesn't win that. She doesn't win that, but she does win Best Supporting Actress uh, for her performance in Tootsie. And she beats out her co-star in Tootsie, Terry Garr, right. as well as her co-star in Francis, Kim Stanley. And it's also a big year for cross-dressing. <laughs> Right at the Oscars. Yeah, I shouldn't. I'm sorry to limit it to that. That's an outdated term. Yeah, but it, it's a it's a big. That is a big theme. You've got John Lithgow in the world according to Garb, mm -hmm. whose character I believe is transgender. Is a is I a believe trans, so. He plays a mm -hmm. transgender woman in that. Yes, and you've also got Robert Preston and Julie Andrews nominated for Victor Victoria. That's right. Yeah, so you've got that's oh my god, that's a, that's also my favorite year. Uh, not sorry, that year was not my favorite year, but the movie my favorite uh -huh. year also out that year, which is an awesome movie. Yeah, if you've never seen my favorite year, check it out. That's I don't one think that we I have. might have to cover at some point. But oh, John, you yeah, that's it's on the list. Or I'll will be. I'll check it out. So. 
But yeah, yeah, this was definitely big hit. Yeah, it was definitely very interesting that something must have been going on at that time that encouraged these people to make movies involving men either dressed as women, you know, gender bending, if you will. And what was also interesting is that at the time when these movies were being described, the ways that they were being that they were describing these portrayals was way off from what we would call them now. I saw things where they were saying that Duff, Dustin Hoffman played a uh, a cross, no, not uh, a drag queen, and it's a drag queen, and it's like no, not a not a drag. It's like nobody knew exactly how to categorize what these people were exactly doing in their roles. Right, which and I actually I'm I'm going to come back to that idea after we we talk about about the movie before we we go into the synopsis. Mm-hmm. First of all, do we have any one, a one more thing before oh, we for move ahead what with women Tootsie? Want? I don't think so. Did you have a chance to watch the Chinese version? No. No. No offense to you know Chinese cinema, but no, I I didn't either. I just it is what it is. So. If not, then let's move full steam ahead. And if I may, mm-hmm. John, I, may. I've got some I, I have some background here before you go into the synopsis. Okay. Uh, because on the DVD of Tootsie that I that ah. I have, there is a well, it's the I want to say 25th anniversary DVD, and it has a documentary on it called A Better Man. Okay. It features a lot of behind-the-scenes footage, a lot of interviews, I guess, from... They look like they were conducted in maybe the, the late 90s. Mm-hmm. So a lot of... inter There's interviews both looking back, and then there's interviews from that time. Footage of Sidney Pollack and Dustin Hoffman and Murray Schiskel, the one of the screenwriters, mm-hmm. meeting like they would have these daily meetings and just like talking out what they had to do to do this right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if I may, I'd like I'd love to share some of the uh, the background and what went into the, what inspired this movie. Sure, go ahead. Or do you have anything that I that have you a bit to... of a game, but I don't know if it's best to do it now or after your because you just set up this this documentary. Oh, but John, why don't you you introduce your game? You want to play a game? Is it is it something that could be played during the background? It's it's not a long game. It's not a long game. But I'm intrigued. Okay. I'm intrigued, but but I feel like the background is going to segue into the synopsis. Okay. So so let me just let's just do this game real quick. Uh, so yeah, hey. for anybody who didn't notice the timestamp on or the date stamp on this episode's release, we are releasing this during in the midst of coronavirus lockdowns, and you know a lot is going on in terms of how to. Uh, avoid contact with with people who might have uh, COVID-19 coronavirus. Um, And I figured it might be a good opportunity to get a few things straight between the movie that we're talking about and this major world event that is happening right now. So this game is called How to Prepare for the Lead Role in Tootsie or How to Avoid COVID-19. 
So Dan, I'm going to name a few things and you tell me if this is how you prepare for the lead role in Tootsie or how you avoid COVID-19. Are you ready? Yes, John, I'm ready. Okay. Question number one. Watch the 1978 film La Cage aux Fas. I'm going to go with prepare for the lead role in Tootsie. That's correct. Okay. Avoid touching eyes, nose, and mouth. I'm going to go with COVID-19 slash coronavirus. That's correct. Uh, Attend a parent's night at your daughter's school pretending to be her aunt. I mean, uh, uh, lead role in Tootsie. That's right. Lead role in Tootsie. Okay. Wash your hands. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I have a question about the rules. Can... Like, is there an all of the above, or does it have to be one or answer, the other? Answer however you feel is most true in your heart. All of the above. Correct. Shave your hands. Lead roll and tootsie. That's correct. Visit the set of General Hospital. Ooh. Oh. Hmm. Lead roll and tootsie. Yeah. General Hospital. Close down. Conduct extensive makeup tests. I, lead role in Tootsie. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm so... Sometimes I'm torn because I don't know if it's in the wording of the question. I don't see it. I'm not reading it. <laughs> John is just saying this. So I have to think, is it makeup like as in the composition or makeup as in... And then I have to think about context. I want to explain why this is taking yeah, me some sure. time. I'm working through... Yeah. There's a logical process I here, but but please. No, that, that um, is correct. Continue. It is uh, lead role in Tootsie. And uh, the last last one is maintain a social distancing of at least three feet between yourself and anyone who is coughing. There's definitely a part where Jessica Lang coughs and he moves closer to her. I'm going to go with coro- uh, coronavirus COVID-19. That is correct. And you win the game. Yes. Okay. Is my prize that I get to talk about Absolutely. the documentary A Better Man? Okay. Please, please. Wonderful. So... What I had read was that uh, while making Kramer versus Kramer, Dustin Hoffman was doing the work as playing the a single parent or, you know, a divorced parent. He had to fill both like the maternal roles and the paternal roles. And of course, we're, you know, it's the late 70s and we're not just seeing it as the parental role. We're still seeing it in maternal paternal and and i kind of have to keep reminding myself at, during this of these things so uh in this documentary better man he talks about uh walking walking through the streets of new york with murray Shiskel, the the screenwriter and talking about masculinity and he was thinking about it and he says, maybe what we call masculine behavior is really learned behavior. And I mean, yeah, it's 2020. We're kind of listening to this and saying, yes, wow. Congratulations, Dustin. You figured it out. But he's, first of all, Dustin Hoffman, a a little egocentric. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. I have I have another I have another story about that uh, unrelated. But so and and he said to and he started thinking what what he says what I had never done is if I had been born a woman 
how would I be different than I am as a man? Would I have the same personality? Would it shift? And uh, he started to also think about, you know, so they were working this screenplay out and it was inspired also by this tennis player, Renee Richards, who had been a male tennis player who was unranked. He had gender reassignment surgery and then was ranked as a female player. So they they started to think about this concept, but they couldn't really work out more than just kind of like this one joke. And he he talks about he was talking to Robert Evans, who had produced Marathon Man, and Robert Evans had this script about it was about an actor who can't get work and go, like has to go to desperate measures and. So Dustin Hoffman was like, wait a second, we should, that's Mm -hmm. like, that's the idea. Like this should be an actor who can't get work. And then he's kind of started to explore the idea of, as he puts it, what, what happens to you? What happens when people relate to you differently? Like, so he started to kind of explore the character and the process of what would happen if, at, if people started to know him as a woman and it, you know if he was going to do this he would have to do it you know all the way and now of course there, i'm watching all these interviews with Dis- dustin hoffman and Sidney pollack and i'm like it's so interesting just hearing all of these like old men t- right. talking about this and uh they wanted Sidney pollack to direct it Sidney pollack wouldn't direct it because he hadn't directed comedy. I think he had just done three days of the condor. Mm -hmm. I, or yeah. And, uh, which by the way, I watched again recently because Max von Sydow is in it. Uh, poor Poor one out. out. MVS. And so Sidney Pollack was like, I don't know what, like it's one joke. And, uh, Dustin Hoffman was trying to convince him. And, uh, of course, there's the famous story about, or wait, no. So uh, Dustin Hoffman was trying to convince him to direct the movie. And he he was meeting with with Hoffman and Murray Shiskel. And it's like, I, what's the spine of the movie? He's like, I need to know what is the through line. Like, what is, like, what's the backbone of this? What's taking it from beginning to end other than this gimmick? And Shiskel says it, it's, it's about a man who becomes a better man by being a woman. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, man, that's so progressive for 1980 or 81, whenever they, they, they filmed it. I'm like, but, oh, it sounds so, so backwards. But, uh, I mean, but even as they're talking about the women who are involved in, in the making of it, even the women operated, you know, and and behaved kind of in deference to the men because they knew that's how they would get things done. And if they if they made men think that things were their ideas and I, I'm pretty I think we see Hoffman as Dorothy right. do this mm-hmm. with Dabney Coleman. And yeah, so. It's just, it's that environment. And as, by the way, speaking of women who were involved, who were heavily involved in the making of this, Elaine May, right? who is not, I don't believe she is credited as a screenwriter. I don't think so, but very heavily involved. Um, she, she's the one who added the character of Jeff. 
Yeah. She added the roommate. Dustin Hoffman was like, I'm, you know, whatever, 40 years old. Why would I have a roommate? And she's like, that's your shadow. You need to have someone to talk to because that's how we learn things about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Plus, and it totally I, tracks if you're a and kind of an out of work actor slash waiter. Yeah, not, of course, wouldn't to be, be roommates with a struggling playwright who's going to write you your starring role, of yeah. course. And did you do you know how Bill Murray was cast in the role? How was he cast in the role? So Dustin Hoffman met Bill Murray at a party in New York and Bill Murray offered to take uh, Hoffman and his wife home. And he took them home and he came up, he came up to their apartment and they ended up talking till two in the morning. Mm -hmm. And the way that Hoffman puts it, he had this like epiphany. He goes, I would live with Bill Murray. You're right. He goes, I, he's like, I, I, I forget how he says it in the documentary. And, but he's, he's like, I totally be down for that. I'd be down for living with Bill Murray. I could get with that. And so that's how Bill Murray ended up being cast as Jeff. And also Elaine May insisted on Terry Gar. Terry Gar is magnificent in this. Magnificent. Yes. And, and I also, I I mean, I know we'll talk about a lot, a lot more about the performances after we talk about the movie, Mm -hmm. the movie itself, but, but yeah, Elaine May is uh, responsible for Terry Gar. And also it was Elaine May who kind of constructed the convergence of all of the subplots as Sidney Pollack describes it, the escalating series of misunderstandings Mm -hmm. from, you know, from, from George Gaines character to Charles Durning's character, you know, everybody. Charles Durning, who's fantastic. Also, I mean, John, John, who isn't fantastic in this? Uh, I mean, I think that I'm only saying this just because I know how he was on set and just behind the scenes. But, you know, Dustin Hoffman. Yes, it's a good performance. But knowing how kind of awful he was to work with and how he was still, even after saying how affected he was by this, such a misogynist, it really paints it in a in a really bad light for me. I may have some perspective on this. Okay. And I, I don't mean to dish dirt. I don't know. You might have to cut this. But in 1998, John, I had lunch via our cousin Kenny Bernstein mm-hmm. I had lunch with his friend Owen Roisman yes the cinematographer of Tootsie also the French Connection The Exorcist and just a ton of other great movies and I asked him over this lunch I asked him who has been the most difficult actor to work with who has he had the most the most trouble with? By by the way, his favorite actor to work with, Kevin Klein. Oh, love Kevin Klein. Who, uh, who doesn't apparently? So, his least favorite, Dustin Hoffman, because he's he said it was incredibly hard to work with Dustin Hoffman because Dustin Hoffman thought he knew more than everybody about their jobs. Yeah. 
and including people doing the lighting, people working with Owen Roisman on the cinematography. And uh, this was also attributed to cocaine. Right. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I, I think it's okay to keep that in statute of limitations and also not surprising yeah. information. Right. Yeah. Yes. I didn't think I was, you know. No. This was shared with me in confidence in 1998. I think we're okay. I think we're okay. It was another millennium, John. Yes. Another millennium. uh, Yeah. I I mean, was was there anything else that you learned in this documentary? Well, yeah. I mean, that that Sidney Pollack in... First of all, they busted their asses to make this movie right. Also, Dustin Hoffman, one of my favorite moments of this... And I think if you watch this documentary going into it knowing Dustin Hoffman's kind of a douche, then you're not surprised when he's kind of a douche. And he talks about having this epiphany that he realized that he wasn't attractive as a woman and that if he saw Dorothy Michaels at a party, he wouldn't try to sleep with her. Right. And it made him feel awful. And he was like, I can't believe women go through this. And he talks about telling his wife that. And I'm like, does his wife just kind of like humor him and just kind of pat his back and roll her eyes and say, it's okay, Dusty. It's You're always Captain Hook to me, baby. <laughs> yeah. You're my one and only rain man. Uh, yeah. I mean, he says all of these things about how impacted he was by yeah. this experience, but the evidence does not indicate that he truly was changed. But someone who uh, I think has a a better reputation is Sidney Pollack. And hearing him talk about the difference between making comedy and making drama was really fascinating because he, he talked about making this movie and realizing that whereas in drama, he said there's like 20 different ways to play a scene yeah. In comedy, there's one way. It has to be a bullseye. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And he he's like, there's one right way to do it. And the way that he knew how to do it was to just make it truthful. And he just said, you know what? The truth has got to be funny. Yeah. I mean, I and would also is. argue that Tootsie isn't so much of a comedy. I mean borderline dramedy you know it's it's funny in the way things play out but things aren't performed comedically no the, well that's the point is is they play it straight but that's also that's a testament to the script i think that's unless you're making an improvisationally based film which Bill well, Murray, who improvised a lot of yes. his lines, such as when he, he they're at uh, Michael or you know Dustin Hoffman's character's birthday party, he's telling people how he you know only wants to perform for people when they're soaking wet because they're like the most vulnerable, and he only wants to have a theater that's open when it's raining, and it's right. like, yeah, clearly you have Bill Murray there who's going to say funny things that are off the cuff, but it's not playing for like a huge laugh it's playing for like a smirk he's he's so that character he gets it he so gets it he's he's so i i wish he had been nominated yeah for an oscar because i never i i have to say john i i found it really funny i laughed a lot when i watched it over again mm-hmm. 
and yeah, I, I and I have always seen it more as a drama, but so much more of the comedy stuck out to me. I there was so much more of it that I found hilarious, but also found it right. Like no one, while the characters were exaggerated, there was truth to them, even to the extent of of uh, John Van, John Van Horn. Uh, mm, yeah. Yeah, George, uh, Gaines. George Gaines. Yeah, George Gaines, so magnificent. He's so, so wonderful. He plays it perfectly. And so you know, hilarious. With the breath spray the, and everything. Does Jeff know <laughs> the interactions with him and Bill Murray? Are that's pretty phenomenal. great. That's pretty great. Oh, anyway, John. So that's what I, all I have to say is check out this document if you like Tootsie and you haven't seen it. Uh, it, I. Sure, you can find it on YouTube somewhere if if you don't have access to the twenty fifth twenty fifth anniversary twenty fifth what twenty fifth anniversary DVD starring <laughs> Call, commentary by Colin Firth. <laughs> I was a better man as a woman with you that I don't know. All right, so, I anyway. would believe it coming from Colin Firth. Yeah, sorry, that was a terrible Colin Firth impersonation. I've never, that was my first time doing it. Oh, Dan. You want to give the synopsis? Sure. So Michael Dorsey is a passionate acting teacher, but a very difficult person, which makes it hard for him to to get actual acting work. And when he does get roles, his hot temper results in the loss of many jobs. One night, he coaches his student slash friend slash accidental girlfriend for a soap opera audition a no-nonsense hospital administrator character with a fiery attitude. She takes Michael to her audition and they both leave upset. She because she doesn't get the part, and he because he finds out that an actor on the soap is off of the show because he got a stage role that Michael was supposed to get. So Michael storms off and barges into his agent's office and is told that he's unhirable because of his temper. Michael Dorsey then gets the idea to get a job where his temper can be valuable, and then he transforms into Dorothy Michaels and demands an audition for the office administrator role on the soap. She performs so well at her screen test that it's impossible for them not to hire her. She's an instant star after an improvisation in which she avoids a kiss with an overly flirtatious actor by hitting him with a folder and telling him off. And as Dorothy's success grew, Michael's life gets more complicated. Not only does he have to keep up his Dorothy Michaels persona, but he also has to navigate his life as Michael Dorsey. Michael had established a romantic relationship with Sandy, the aforementioned struggling actress, which becomes difficult to maintain, causing a great deal of deceit. Simultaneously, Michael is falling for Julie, his co-star, and on top of that, Julie's father is falling for Dorothy. The tipping point is when the soap extends Dorothy's contract and Michael is faced with the reality that he is stuck being Dorothy while he, as Michael, is still a failure. It all comes to a close during a live taping of the show where Dorothy goes off script and takes the opportunity to take off the wig and reveal Michael to the world. As always, clearly I'm glazing over a a lot of things that did happen, but that's the, the gist of it. Dustin Hoffman, as we know, is Dorothy Michaels slash Michael Dorsey. Uh, Bill Murray is the roommate. 
Terry Gar is the is Sandy the kind of girlfriend. It's a very weird dynamic that they have. She's in his acting class, and she they've been clearly has for a crush like on him. Ten and... years. She's yeah. She's totally into him. He clearly does not care about her. But when she catches him trying to try on her clothing while she's like in the shower or something. He plays it off as if he wants to sleep with her. And that's why he's just in his underwear. He just says, I want you. Yeah. And he does. He strings her along like he knows she likes him. And it's awful. He doesn't. Yeah, it's really terrible. I. I this is where I, I think. Either the performance is good or this is just who Dustin Hoffman is. Right. <laughs> And, but he's terrible. He leads her, he knowingly leads her on. He does the same thing with her that Dabney Coleman's character does yes. with so, Jessica Lange's So Dabney character. Coleman plays yeah. the director of the soap opera. But Though he wasn't originally right. supposed to. He was supposed yes. to be the agent, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know the story behind that. Why Sidney Pollack became the agent? Yeah. Uh, I think I read it somewhere, but you can go ahead. So Dustin Hoffman wanted, really wanted Sidney Pollack to be the agent, and Sidney Pollack was like, I don't act anymore. And Dustin Hoffman was like, okay, who's going to play the agent? I said, Dabney Coleman. And he's and he goes, he goes, Dabney, Hol- Dabney Coleman is is a peer. And he goes, oh, I wouldn't... Yeah. I, I need somebody goes, that I, I can get into a fight with. I need someone I can well, yell at. Well, first of all, he, well, that's also how him and Pollock dealt with their tension yeah. was by putting it into the movie. But also he said that if Dabney Coleman told him that he would never work again, it wouldn't make him put on a dress to get yeah, a job. Totally. Whereas if Sidney Pollock did, he would. So eventually it worked because he sent him red roses with a note that said, please be my agent. Yeah. Love Dorothy. <laughs> yeah. It seems like he slipped into the Dorothy character in real life in a very manipulative way. <laughs> Whereas I, uh, he would go into character as Dorothy just to kind of trick people. And like, there's yeah. one story about John Voight. John Voight was one of them. Was that where you were going? No. Um, I was thinking of, I forget exactly who it was, but he was like in an elevator with one of his peers. And I didn't read that. That was John Voight. No, that wasn't John Voight. John Voight was in a restaurant. Right. So the one I'm thinking of is where he's in an elevator with someone and says that he wants to blow them. And oh, yes, I forget who that was. Yeah, but he's based. And then the guy was just like, uh, no, thank you. And then later told someone else that like there was a vile woman. And then like later on, like Dustin Hoffman went up to him and was like, man, I can't be, believe you fell for that. And it's like, what a. I don't know, asshole, <laughs> just to like manipulate people with your soon-to-be hit character. I don't know. I clearly I'm not loving Dustin Hoffman during this era. He's uh, a <laughs> little unsavory. So just to go over a few of the other highlights in the cast, we have um, Gina Davis in her first ever acting role as one of the actors on the soap. Dabney Coleman, as we were saying, is the director who is dating Julie, even though Dorothy 
sees him making out with Gina Davis's character. Uh, Gina Davis was great in this, considering it's her first role. She was hired because they saw her in a Victoria's Secret catalog and were just like, she should be in that because she's essentially just in her underwear the whole time. She shares a dressing room with Dorothy. And uh, she's wonderful. She's just like this naive young actress. Yeah. And then Jessica Lange is clearly phenomenal, won the Academy Award for it. And her performance is really, really interesting because I feel like with her, you see more of an internal struggle than you actually do with Michael slash Dorothy. This is somebody who has is having this connection with this their their colleague. They find they form this bond, this relationship. Dorothy comes to babysit. They spend a, a weekend together at her dad's farm, which is where he ends up falling for Dorothy. And they just have this great, great connection. And of course, he just wants to sleep with her. But there's no way for him to do that as Dorothy. Until a moment when they almost kiss and she's having very conflicting feelings because she connects with Dorothy so much. And Dorothy, and and this happens before that moment, but when Michael is at a party with Sandy and Julie happens to be there, Michael goes up to her and clearly she doesn't know who he is. He's just a guy and he says, like, I think we should make love. And she's like, get out of here, you creep. And I don't know where he thinks that that would have ever been a good idea. Is he thinking that she's going to know that that's Dorothy? I don't. Well, because he repeats what she said to her, to, her, to him as Dorothy. Yes. Yeah. But so it seems. But wild. yeah, why would he? Wh- yeah, no, no, no. I agree. Is that's one of those moments where, where, uh, like, really? Because that's you're giving yourself. Are you trying to give yourself away? What are you doing? Yeah. And I, uh, I guess the only thing Julie's father falls for Dorothy during their weekend at his barn, his farm, his cabin, whatever, his house, and. The next time that they see each other, he proposes to Dorothy and basically says, there's, I've only taken two photographs of my life, my high school graduation and my wedding photo. And my wife was in both of them, his wife who had passed away. And that's when he's like, well, I'm not, you know, one to take things slow. So here we go. And proposes to to Dorothy, which is completely wild. Yes. And um, so... I think Charles Durning was actually on that elevator. Oh, really? With with Dustin Hoffman, and I believe it was Jose Ferrer. Oh, Jose Ferrer, really? Yes. That sounds familiar. I believe it was, yeah, Jose Ferrer, but I think, uh, I think Charles Durning was possibly also there. Anyway, not yeah. important. So I think that at the time that this movie came out, I mean, clearly, like you mentioned, there were a few other big movies that came out that did feature men dressing up as women and vice versa and uh, different contexts to varying degrees and contexts. And yes, exactly. 
and for very different reasons as well. And this has been something that's been happening in movies since movies were movies. I mean, if you look at the Wikipedia page for movies where this happens, it goes back to, I think, the 20s. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, the first one that comes to my mind as being like a big, big movie would be Some Like It Hot, which when you that movie, when I was kind of thinking about it, I was like, yeah, that happens, but it's not the same. It's not done for the same reasons as Tootsie. It's actually more like Sister Act if we're going with the theme of it because it's people trying to get away from the mafia. What's up? They they talk about it on the documentary oh, because how do you make how do you make a movie like this without some like it hot in the back of your mind? And one of the reasons why the the agent character exists is and it's they actually show them having this discussion. They say, in some like it hot, there are machine guns. Right. That's why they dress up as women. Where's the machine gun? What's the machine gun? It's the Asian yeah. saying, your career is, is yeah. dead. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that it's a little woe is you in Tootsie because Michael is not getting roles because he is getting in his own way. It's not like there's another force that's not making him become a successful actor. And it's, I know that there's a, there's a lot of reasons to love this movie, but there's probably just as many reasons to get really frustrated by it where it's like, and it's, it's funny that you say that because I feel like I, as Dustin Hoffman is talking about the character and modeling that part of the character after himself being a difficult actor, it's one of those moments where I almost spoke back to the screen where it was like, yeah, but you got work. <laughs> oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, at the time that this came out, he was one of the biggest actors. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy he produced results. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look at how many I mean, just just to take a moment and review, because I feel <laughs> like we kind of been shitting on Dustin Hoffman here. Oh, but all the president's men like. All the president's the men, Lenny, yeah, Lenny, sure. Shout out, Fossey Verdon, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lenny's great. I like Lenny a lot. John and I have to talk about it in every in every episode. But uh, so yeah, you've got Lenny, you've got Midnight Cowboy, mm-hmm. you've got The Graduate, obviously, you've got uh, Marathon Man, mm-hmm. you've got. I want to say by that time he's also done. Oh, what was the one he did with? I want to say Peck and they remade it with James Marsden um, where they're like in the house and a bunch of hillbillies attack. I don't know. This is a, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm, no, sure no, no, you, no. I'm sure I'm sure you're spot movie. on with this. I just don't know which one it is. No, he's clearly made a huge mark on cinema at this point. There's definitely a world's tiniest violin component to this. That I don't think that people are thinking about so much at the time. You know, it's, I'm sure that he struggled. I'm sure that he had a lot of the experiences that he said he had that they're showing when he's auditioning for things. What's up? Straw Dogs. Oh, Straw Dogs. Okay. I had not seen that and one. And yes, little, little Big Man. I saw Straw Dogs. I liked Straw Dogs. It's, it's an interesting movie. What else had he done by, by that point? Yeah, All the President's Men, Lenny, Papillon. 
Papillon. Yeah, Papillon. No, I haven't. I haven't seen that one. So yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Yes, at, at this point established, right? And actor. he's making a movie where he is taking a role from a woman, and uh, yes, the things that the impact that Dorothy has. What's that? I know. I have a question for you yes. that, that you're segueing perfectly into. It is and. I guess we need to kind of talk about how the movie ends. Right. Where, yeah, go oh, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, it ends with Michael approaching Julie on the street outside of the studio and being, and them just like walking off together after like, there's no apology. There's not a single, I'm sorry. And so, like a half-assed explanation. And then they just walk off together. So that answers my question. What's that? Uh, does he see the appropriate consequences for his actions? No. 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 I mean, would would he not be like? Wouldn't there be? Would there be a lawsuit? Yeah. This uh, there is definitely fraud. I'm sure in the paperwork yeah. involved in hiring him. Yeah, and and I wonder, and I think honestly, it's just kind of a further. And here's the one, like, I think it's a wonderful screenplay, but my God, Julie is a doormat and it, 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 and she doesn't grow. Yeah. She doesn't, she like by the, by the, the end of this movie, she's been deceived and lied to by the, the two other than her father, the two men closest to her. So I want to take this opportunity to segue into the theatrical adaptation, the musical adaptation. <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> so there was a uh, Broadway musical, short-lived Broadway musical. I think it was on for like a year or so. It just closed recently. And they update it in ways that kind of right a lot of the wrongs. So this is a list that's on theatermany.com. Uh, Michael Dorsey, for one, isn't hitting on every woman in sight. I'm just going to read the the bullet points that they have. Let's see. Uh, Julie Nichols has more agency. So um, I will go and, and read their full explanation on this one since we were talking about it. The Julie Nichols of the 1982 film is written and played as a delicate waif, which makes Michael Dorsey slash Dorothy Michaels attempts to instill in her more of a feminist backbone, especially against her openly philandering boyfriend, TV soap director Ron Carlyle, Dabney Coleman in the film. Even ickier in their con, um, condescension, oh, sorry, even ickier in their condescension is how that should read. The Julie Nichols of the musical, however, played by Lily Cooper on stage, wouldn't take any of that kind of mansplaining sitting down. She's empowered enough to already know what she wants to achieve from the outset and shows exactly what she's going to do at every step. Even when, spoiler alert, after she's that's i think it's okay the show's closed after she's initially freaked out by dorothy michaels kissing her she decides she's open to experimenting with a lesbian relationship so then it says speaking of lesbian relationships there's a lot less gay panic in the musical than in the movie that's another big thing there's definitely a lot of tiptoeing around not wanting things to seem gay in the movie there's a lot of there are a lot of moments where you 
have to remind yourself that this was actually progressive for the early 80s. This was the Reagan. This was the beginning of the Reagan era, the the dawn, the morning in America. (laughs) And it it, where I mean, just an incredible homophobic talk about a, a time when the 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 president joked while people were dying. Yeah. <laughs> that was the Reagan presidency. And I yes, through the lens of 2020, and absolutely if you're gonna update this, and I uh am I'm pretty sure I saw that the update the musical is set in is contemporary. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I remember reading that the John Van Horn character is now a Max like Van reality Horn, TV star, a pretty boy reality yeah, TV Van Horn. star. Yeah. So it, honestly, it sounds like a lot of fun. I was reading about it and thinking, Man, I, I, I would. This sounds like a really good adaptation, and I, I, I actually. So I had a question. Mm-hmm. Thinking about up, just thinking about updating and thinking about. What if something similar to this were to happen in today's in today's environment where we are more aware of and open to the idea of gender fluidity? Do you think that Michael Dorsey would identify as a as a gay transgender woman if he felt free to explore that? Because he just seems to me he's a better person. But what you're asking, Dorothy. So what you're asking is if Michael could end up actually being transgender. Yes, like discovering that about themselves during this process. I look at is that I look at that character and knowing what we know now, and looking at that character now. Seeing how happier he is and seeing how more how much more natural so what he is. you are saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that during the process of becoming a woman in order to manipulate people for your own benefit, you this character discovers that as a woman they feel more comfortable in their own body and come to realize that the man that they were isn't the person that they were supposed to be i think that's a really cool idea i mean i'm just thinking like what if he has this realization that's just like wow maybe this is why i've been like i'm such an like i've been such an asshole and now all of a sudden people like me, people respect me, mm-hmm. I'm working, I have a relationship where I feel like I actually know someone and someone knows me. Is this who I really am? Well, I think that describing it that way, I don't know if that really is an indicator. And I am a cisgender heterosexual male, but... What it seems to me is that that isn't the experience for like that. It doesn't qualify the experience. That seems like a more, I guess, opportunistic outlook on it. No, no, no. And I I mean, and I'm thinking of it in the terms of 
this time and place where someone like Michael Dorsey, who's born in he's a he's a boomer mm -hmm. or around there, who would have been brought up without even the idea that this was possible, let alone acceptable yeah. by society's standards, if that Michael Dorsey could possibly have been so closed off, but that maybe this moment in, in his life, this turning point where this is what it occurs to him to do. Who else? I, I'm John, I know so many actors who have tried and tried to get to get work i and i mean yes i was a i was a struggling actor at one point i did not commit to that life the way that other people have and i just wonder how many people are going to go that route well and if that's what says to him hey yeah. Why not audition? Why not find? But that and that's kind of that's the finding. And I mean, I understand that is not how. Like I, you know, I'm fortunate to, you know, know transgender people, mm -hmm. and fortunate, fortunate, and also enough to know them well enough that they've felt open talking about their experiences with me, and I mm -hmm. know that that's not how it goes. Now, I don't know if that's true because I feel like it's not like it's not like, you know, it was the year 2000 and all of a sudden tr being, you know, gender fluidity just came into existence. It's always been in existence, mm -hmm. but this is really the first time that in our society we're seeing people being open right. with it. Yeah, really just starting to because not I, I wish I could say it was the majority of yeah. people, but well, it's not it. I think that I did read that there was a transgender woman who was a bit of a consultant for this movie. I think working with Dustin uh, Hoffman, I think this is somebody who was associated with Andy Warhol, which explains right. his cameo. Holly, uh, Hollywood lawn, maybe uh, that does sound I right. It yeah. Was. So, yeah. granted, the state of, you know, gender politics in 1981, 1982, very different from the way that it is now, where we do have mainstream actresses who are trans. There is a mainstream. So, okay. As I know, John, you are not a professional wrestling fan, and I don't know if anyone listening is other than than me, but there is a the the women's wrestling the women's champion of all elite wrestling AEW, which is on uh, on TNT Wednesday night. So this is not like a small promotion. I'm not being paid to hype it. The women's champion Andy Nyla Kaufman? Rose oh. is a <laughs> very no. That's Man on the Moon. Jerry Lawler's on WWE. <laughs> but Nyla Rose is a transgender woman uh -huh. who is the, first of all, the first transgender woman to wrestle for a major promotion. Also, the first transgender woman to hold a a championship 
singles championship. And yes, yes, we know that it's not actual competition, but the choice for a program, a wrestling program that airs on a major cable network and during prime time in the middle of the week, and they don't, it's not like it's part of her character or her it's just gimmick. who she is. That's who she is. Yep. She she is a woman, who, but she is, is identifies as a transgender woman. Yeah. And, but so, yes, we have come a long way since Tootsie. Yeah. I mean, I think that there could be a, something to consider for a, a remake, not a full on remake, but a, in the in the world of Tootsie remake where there is a struggling male actor who is maybe losing roles to women they're recasting their gender swapping the role if you will and perhaps this actor decides that being a white male is a detriment to their acting career because of politically correct uh, efforts being made that they actually try to audition for roles as a trans woman, like calling out that they, you know, once presented as male, but are now a trans woman and maybe even getting a role and then actually dealing with the backlash of that and growing as a person because of how awful that was. So exploiting, so kind of exploiting the demand for transgender sure. actors yeah. to be cast because everyone wants to add diversity and it gets you good press. Yeah, there could be something interesting in that. So, and is the lead character's name Montana Moorhead? <laughs> Oh yeah. I thought about they honestly, did that in soap dish. <laughs> I did John, I did think about but John, I thought about soap dish a lot while I was watching. I thought about uh, it a little bit, but not that much. Okay. I, no, that's I exactly didn't think about character. it. I didn't think about it that I didn't think about it that much until you mentioned No no no, but no, I you're can right. see you're that right. actually well, soap well, no, dish it's not it. that character because no, no, no. They did it a little differently because Milton Moorhead did not become Montana Moorhead just to get work. Yeah, that's true. Milton Moorhead, honestly. Well, and Montana Moorhead wasn't was. tr- insinuating that they were trans in order to, you know, as a trans act- right. actress, just an right. actress. So actually very forward thinking. And those of you who want to hear more of our thoughts on Soap Dish, you can check out our episode from this past august yeah or you can email august us, 2019 email us ruin childhoods at gmail.com and just ask us and we'll tell you <laughs> or download the episode or download the episode but i'm sure that we've got even more and thoughts then... about it uh, i i do want to add that i when asked about doing a tootsie sequel dustin hoffman is quoted, and I believe this was Candice Magazine, C-A-N-D-I-S. Dustin often said, if I didn't have such a low pain threshold, and if the makeup didn't take four hours to do, I'd make a sequel to Tootsie. So, 
I, I Southwest lo- General re- a South would Southwest General be rebooted on Netflix and they try to get their they actually contact Michael Dorsey right because they want because Southwest they need because the they're soap right because yeah. they're like Emily oh what's the last name that he plays in it oh I don't remember uh they're they're like your character is still the most pop- like this is the character people want to see again. We need you to come back as Dorothy Michaels. Yeah, actually, it'd be interesting if you had like a senior citizen, like older Dustin Hoffman is like, how do I pull this off now? I could pull this off when I was forty. Yeah. So yeah, and I just to to talk a little bit more about doing remakes of this it's like there have been so many movies where a in most cases male just one of the guys well that's the other way around well just one of the guys is different because she is posing as a male at the school not because it's the only way she can get the job it's is that exactly what yes, it is? Yes, it is, that John. Is That's is. exactly what it is because she can't. The the school paper won't uh, like they won't publish any of her stuff, and she's like, like it's so misogynistic. And how do I get to the That's bottom true. of That's this? Well, I'm going to pose as a guy. All right. Well, then let's talk about ladybugs. Joyce Heiser, FTW. <laughs> I I think we're gonna. I Just think we might have the opportunity to be. Yeah. So. Uh, and well, ladybugs, which I don't know if we want to save that for a future episode. I don't know what we'd really have to say about ladybugs. Other than to say it's like a preteen Tootsie or yeah, an adolescent Tootsie. Essentially. I mean, he does fall. He falls for the girl. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan Brandis. Yeah. Pour one out. Yes. Pour one out for the majority of the main cast of and that. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. So not Jack A. Still going Jack strong. Jack A. Definitely going strong. Great on Twitter. Just saying. And by the way, if I can give another Twitter shout out, and I know I've given this Twitter shout out before because we've had an interaction, but man, Richard Marks is on fire <laughs> these days. And yes, you I'm talking Richard about Marks. Richard Marks. Hold on to the night, endless summer nights. If you want to Hazard. hear more about us talking about Richard Marks, check out our Rocketeer episode and find out why. Yeah, man. Richard Marks has been on fire on Twitter lately. So, John, you yeah. were saying... Oh, no, I'm just saying, like, there have been a lot of gender swapping, for lack of a better term, uh, movies that do the Tootsie thing. Well, and I know we've talked about it, but, like, also... Shakespeare. Well, yeah, did, and I'm not. Ta- I'm not talking about the casting. I'm not talking about that boys that that right. like was it teenage boys played as the you women, like it, but it was what as you like yeah. it. Twelfth night, uh, Shakespeare did a whole lot of gender. Swapping. And on that note, Shakespeare in love. Shakespeare in love. Shakespeare was. Don't get me started on how forward thinking Shakespeare was, because. <laughs> I teach a whole unit on that. Yeah. Maybe not this year. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you can teach a unit yeah. on how Ooh. he wrote, was it like King Lear while uh, being quarantined? Oh, while for he was quarantined. Bubonic plague. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that tweet a thousand yeah, times exactly. today and then all the responses to it. Yeah. So, so, I don't know. I mean, did you have any other ideas for a resurrection of the Tootsie verse? 
Well, which would be a good name for a, another Tootsie movie. <laughs> the the Tootsie verse. So you could do a you could try a remake where maybe you have someone who tries it and 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 maybe it's totally I don't know. I don't know that I would remake it. There's something to Tootsie that is and it's not just like the the cheesy songs or right. like the the score that amazing 80s score I don't know if you I don't know if if you remake this if you do something inspired by it kind of like you were saying I I think it's something that could that could work very well maybe you change the context of it yeah it's hard to say because these days there's definitely more of a repercussion to I don't know. I, I'd say that what Michael Dorsey is doing is not being in drag or anything like that, but masquerading as a woman. Right. Yeah. And yes, for selfish it's like, benefit. It's kind of like it's like well, it's it, and I mean it's it's like Mrs. Doubtfire. I, I, well, I'd I'm gonna I have a lot of thoughts on that. Okay, <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire is one of the greatest movies ever made. First and first mostly. So Mrs. Doubtfire is there's a a purpose for why Daniel Hillard is doing what he is doing and definitely has, I don't know, made attempts otherwise. But the only way that Daniel Hillard can accomplish his goal, which is not for a romantic angle, it's to be with his children more than like they're my kids too, damn yeah, it. they're my damn kids too. Oh well, she says or oh, his yeah, damn uh, kids too. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So yes, yes. that movie, there's a true reason why Daniel Hillard would masquerade as somebody other than himself, and realistically, uh, it would have to be a woman because there wasn't the 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 desire to hire a male nanny for these children. But he's still being pretty self-centered. Like, like there is a court order, there's a decision and he's not willing to go by that. So he's trying to find ways to circumvent the law. This is true. I, I, I don't and disagree. violate the wishes of his ex-wife, the mother of his children. Well, not to mention when he begins, I mean, yeah. when he begins doing the Mrs. Doubtfire thing, he is, of course, a very selfish person, but there is actual character growth that you see happen on screen, and there is remorse, yes. and there, yes, you know, there is a bit of a consequence that happens, but it's done in a way that, unlike in Tootsie, you definitely see a change in the character, whereas Michael Dorsey. Honestly, I don't think would hesitate to do it again if he could. Well, the character, that's the difference in that it it comes back to the question of does he really get his comeuppance? Daniel Hillard does. Daniel Hillard does, but because he has grown and because he has, you know, fallen into line and become an adult he then gets rewards in other ways. He gets to see his kids more. He gets a television show as Mrs. Doubtfire, a children's show, which right. I would watch. 
A hundred percent. Of course. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, and you're right. Uh, Michael Dorsey doesn't because Jessica Lang still walks off with him right. at the end. And also there is financial gain. There is clout. You know, being a, yeah, a yeah. an actor on a major network television show, like it's it's for very, it's for selfish reasons. Yes, in both circumstances, but the oh. degrees are very different. What are you thinking? That's why there needs to. That's why you have a sequel, because this character finally gets their comeuppance, because of this whatever reunion or reboot or whatever. And the producers who are just thinking, you know, they're not seeing it. They, they want the money they cast, they bring Michael Dorsey back in and they want him to do the Dorothy Michaels bit. And then there is like mass protest. Yeah. And there are consequences. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's why right. Dustin and maybe Hoffman I think would the, the, the that ship has sailed. No, Dustin Hoffman would would not. No, of course not. But that's the sequel. That's if if there was a call to do anything with this, that's it. Maybe other than the musical, I think I I I from seeing it. And by the way, Mrs. Doubtfire the musical is opening on Broadway soon. Yes. So. We'll see if it fares better than Tootsie. But I felt that Tootsie, uh, what I read about Tootsie, the musical, it it did feel like they they did it right. They they did right by I've, the story. They did right by the concept, and they did right by the evolved attitudes and understanding and knowledge of of what gender is. Yeah, I mean, I've only heard good things about it. Uh, my dear friend Louise, with whom I have a few podcasts, is uh, personal friends with Andy Grotolution, who plays uh, Jeff Slater. Uh, and I was hoping to get a, a little Skype interview with him to tack onto this episode. So we'll see if that actually happens. Uh, but it would be really cool to hear about the the process of of making this musical. And it's unfortunate that it didn't have a very long run. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, let me see if I can find the exact Tootsie on the internet Broadway database, ibdb.com. So it opened April 23rd, 2019. It closed January 5th, 2020. The preview started March, March 29th, 2019. So pretty short run, 293 performances, 25 previews. So yeah. Yeah. I, I will. Hey, if it comes to Seattle and we're no longer a post-apocalyptic ghost town, I will be happy to see it. Yeah. So, Dan, any last thoughts? Not anytime soon. Any last thoughts before <laughs> we uh, wrap things up? Well, John, viewing Tootsie through the lens of the early '80s, and also like I've uh, what I was teaching before school closed, uh, had to do, I was t uh, teaching the novel, this boy's life, which, uh, for those of you who are movie buffs, which if you're listening to this, you must be, uh, there's a 1993 film starring Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, but I was teaching the memoir, this boy's life. And 
a lot of what we talk about has to do with gender roles and what men feel like they need to do to be men and what women felt like they need to do to be women, especially in in the 1950s and 60s. So having gender roles on the brain was a really interesting lens to watch this through. And it made it stand, certain things stood out a lot more to me while watching it. And uh, it, it, it says a lot about identity, maybe more than, than it means to. And I saw a lot, I, 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 I saw a lot of that in it. And maybe it's just where my head was at when I watched it. But I saw a lot of, it's almost like if a different person had played Michael Dorsey the same way, it was almost like watching uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Joker where I'm like, man, I see so many of these like male insecurities where he's just unable to meet all these standards. Like in the beginning when he's doing the auditions and they're like, oh, you're too short, you're too old, you're too young, you're too tall, whatever. He's he's just not able to meet these standards. And it's what it it's what affected so many people, especially in the 1950s and 60s, people who couldn't fit these roles that you were told you had to fit. And I guess it's what made me look further into Michael Dorsey and what what might be trying to get out of him while he's putting on this charade. Mm-hmm. That was long-winded, I know, but... <laughs> Well, this my thought. This podcast isn't an hour and twenty two minutes for nothing. No, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I guess not. Anyway, John, I don't know. What do you have to say? All I have to we... say is let's talk about our next episode. Oh my goodness! Our next episode is a bona fide cult classic. This is probably the movie that defines the term cult classic to me. It's it's one of them. It's one of those movies, and we've loved it since it, <laughs> either since it was released on VHS or premiered on HBO. It's 1987's The Monster Squad. Yeah. Oh man, let's just say it now. Wolfman's got nards. Sure does. Sure does. Can't help. All right. It. Well, everyone out there, be healthy, stay safe, and good journey. Good journey. Not long ago, there was a man, an angry guy, awkwardly aging, committed, but kind of self-destructive, winding his way through life till ambition and circumstance conspired to deliver an opportunity no one except a megalomaniacal actor with nothing to really lose would consider. So then, of course, this guy puts, oh yeah, this guy is you, in case you were wondering, puts on a dress and wig and heels and actually gets the part, and surprisingly, everything goes very well. But then, and how do I say it? You fucked it up. You really fucked it up. You got applause, you got the fame, except it wasn't exactly for you. And now you're in love with a girl who thinks you're somebody that you're not. And in case you forgot, I'll tell you who you really are. You're the guy who fucked it up. You really fucked it up. Listen, Mike, I know when Mr. Opportunity comes tiptoeing and teasing, you're the kind of man who grabs him by the balls. But then when he screams and says, let go of my balls, and you just keep on squeezing, well, that's the time you gotta... I lost my train of thought. Hmm. 
But anyway, you get the point, you screwed the pooch. Epic fail, I hate to say, I'm happy to say I told you so. But it makes me so happy, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. You fucked it up, you really fucked it up. I went to tub. Mistakes were made. Mistakes you were made. The dirt. I bit Insane the dirt. in the membrane. Good song. A major malfunction. I really the blew it. Of the Hindenburg. All the humanity. You messed it up. I did. The, the wheels came, came off my bumper car. car. You fell on your Complete face. You disaster. did in the water. You fucked it up. You bald change. You fucked it up. You did in the water. You fucked it up. And fan kick. And Buffalo. Buffalo got a shuffle Jeff. off to Buffalo. Jab. Jazz square. Jeff. Jazz hands. Shh. Hello? Ah, oh, oh, yes, great. Thank you. Jeff, the cast are going over to hear Julie sing. They invited Dorothy. Now, Julie has been avoiding me since I kissed her, but she also confides in Dorothy what she wants from a guy, right? So if I can meet Julie as Michael, I can use those things to get her to fall for me and then fix things between her and Dorothy. Good luck to you, God bless you, Mike. I really, really wish you the best. I tell you what, I'm coming along for moral support because I'm a friend, but mostly because I'm curious to see exactly how you'll fuck it up. Sweet up, 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 up.